Welcome to the Powers Report Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Powers. The show brings you candid, unique, and data-driven perspectives on the healthcare industry. I believe that any solution that is going to positively impact the American healthcare system has to satisfy two major criteria, financial viability and behavioral incentive alignment. In other words, access to high-quality care can only be achieved if we can afford it and if we behave in ways that optimize our health. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform and connect with us on social media. Again, this is Janice Powers, and welcome to the Powers Report podcast. In this episode of the Powers Report podcast, I will talk about the consumer's role in the healthcare landscape. This is going to be the beginning of the discussion. Talk of consumerism in healthcare will take place over the course of future podcasts because the subject is complicated. My company, Longitudinal Healthcare, is just getting started and we are squarely in this space. I've talked before about our mission, which is to eliminate health insurance. In prior episodes, I've talked about different ways we were thinking about going after the problem. As we've investigated these ideas, we've tweaked them. But I've kept these shows up in the podcast sequence because it is interesting to see how the company has evolved. After a ton of customer interaction, investor commentary, and guidance from our advisors, we've landed on something really cool, the over-under. I will talk about it later in the show. But for now, let's talk about healthcare. It's close to a $4 trillion industry. It's almost 20% of our gross domestic product, yet we, the American consumer, have very little direct control over the spending. In other words, healthcare hasn't been consumerized. You might think it has been if you listen to the quotes from politicians over the last couple of months. Here are a couple. From Democratic Senator Ron Wyden, who co-sponsored a bill to lower drug costs. Chairman Grassley and I have worked over a year on a drug pricing bill that would end price gouging, lower consumers' costs at the pharmacy counter, and save taxpayer dollars. Here's another one. This is from the FDA Commissioner, Dr. Stephen Hahn, about some recent executive orders signed by President Trump. We remain committed to advancing the policies outlined in the Safe Importation Action Plan as quickly as possible as we continue our broader work to increase drug competition to the benefit of the American consumer. Hmm. Government healthcare and consumer, kind of an oxymoron. One of the reasons that the American healthcare system has such a hard time getting consumerized is because the government controls about 45% of all the money that's spent. That's for programs like Medicare, Medicaid, healthcare for veterans, the Department of Defense, etc. When politicians talk about lowering costs for consumers, they mean they're going to try to lower costs in their programs. That means the government is buying, in the case of the quotes I just read, the drugs. If they're buying the drugs, the government is the consumer, not the American people. Lowering costs for the American people happens however the government decides to pass on whatever savings they can generate. Maybe it's a lower copay or a rebate. But since the government fixes that price to the people, it's not a free market situation that the word consumer implies. Let's go to the private sector. Here's a quote from the CEO of Livongo, a care management company that just merged with telemedicine giant Teladoc. 
It's the ability to bring together the health and care side by creating unique consumer-centric virtual care. Really, have any of you personally bought care management from Livongo or Teladoc? Probably not. That's because these are not companies that sell their services directly to us, the consumer. They sell to employers and insurance companies. These parties are the consumers of Livongo's and Teladoc's products. The employer or insurer then offers these services to us. In order for the companies to maintain their contracts, they have to make sure the ultimate user of their product, we the people, are satisfied. But the definition of consumer is someone who purchases goods and services for personal use. As with the government example, we're getting the services through a third party. That's not true consumerization. You may be asking, why do I care? I don't know what a diabetics care management program is, and I wouldn't know how to shop for one. Nor do I have any idea how to negotiate with Pfizer to get my Zoloft. True. But the skyrocketing costs in the American healthcare system have to make us start considering alternative models. People obviously want consumerism. Politicians and business leaders wouldn't throw around the term so frequently if it didn't resonate with people. Yet the people need to understand that what we're being told is different from what we're getting. And if we want consumerism in healthcare, we the people are going to need to make some changes too. As you know, I like to talk about the money. Given how the healthcare system is structured today, how much of the money that is spent can actually be consumerized? And for this discussion, I'm skipping government programs. I can't fix the government. I'm talking about the Americans who are on private insurance. That's around 55% of the population. In 2018, that was close to 180 million people. About nine out of 10 of these people get their insurance from their employer. My company, Longitudinal Healthcare, is going to market with a cost calculator called the Over Under or OU. The OU will tell you if you're overpaying for your healthcare or underpaying. One of the key aspects of the OU is to educate you on all your healthcare costs and help you understand comprehensively how the money is spent. We can't consumerize healthcare until we start from the top and get an understanding of what can be consumerized and what can't. The OU helps determine that. Here's what I mean. There are two parts to the OU. I'll talk first about how much money is paid into the system, and then I'll discuss the second part, which is how much is spent on you, the patient, every year. Both of these expenditure buckets are called costs, which is confusing, but hey, it wouldn't be healthcare if it weren't confusing. So the money that goes into the system is what you and your employer contribute. The biggest component of this is what your employer pays for your insurance. And if you're part of the one in 10 who don't get insurance through your employer and have to buy it yourself, then this obviously doesn't apply. So to keep this simple, let's assume you have individual and not family insurance. In 2019, the total amount contributed by your employer and you on average was $7,190. Your employer pays about 83% of these costs. You pay about 1,240 in premiums every year. And again, these are national averages. Do you shop for this health insurance? Certainly not. That's because our health insurance is not just insurance. I think we all need insurance to protect us from catastrophic events, just like we need car insurance. But we are paying into a system that provides insurance and coverage, all kinds of coverage, given it rates and prices we don't understand. Further, we don't know if we're going to need any of this stuff, 
So we're really not shopping at all. We're putting money into the system, hoping at some point we'll get value out of it. Let's say your employer provides insurance for you. If so, odds are there's one or maybe two different insurance companies to choose from, if you're lucky, but small employers offer one. Big companies just self-insure, meaning they have enough employees to set up their own health insurance structure. So again, you don't get to choose from all the insurance companies offering plans in your community. Your employer may give you options for a high deductible health plan or not. You're probably aware that if you're relatively healthy and don't expect to have any major healthcare episodes, it's better to opt for a plan that has lower premiums and a higher deductible. The risk is that if something does happen, you'll be on the hook for more money out of pocket to satisfy that high deductible. That right there is about the biggest element of so-called consumerization that exists for the bulk of your healthcare expenses, whether you choose a plan with a high deductible or not. And many people don't even get that choice. If you're one of the one in 10 who buys on the open exchange, you really don't get to shop for much of anything. Just like the folks who get insurance from their employer, you don't get to pick the services covered by the plans. The Affordable Care Act mandates that a selected group of services are covered under every plan. You're paying for this stuff whether you want it or not. Mandating that people have to buy things they don't want or need violates the free market ethos that drives consumerism. There are other examples of how shopping for health insurance is not true shopping, but I think you get the point. So we've got about $7,910 going into the healthcare system to pay for health insurance. There's another small chunk of money that goes into the system via your out-of-pocket or out of OOP costs. All the money you personally paid out-of-pocket for your insurance-based coverage outside of the premiums needs to be included too. I'm talking about co-pays, or your payment when you have a doctor visit. If you get hospitalized or have a major procedure or go to the ER, there's usually a coinsurance fee. That's the percentage of the charges that you have to pay before you hit your deductible. According to data from the Healthcare Cost Institute, which I've analyzed to get into these buckets, the out-of-pocket costs for a male age 26 to 44 are about $680 a year. That's an average. Add that to the 7,190 contributed by you and your employer, and the amount put into the system is about $7,870. You also pay out-of-pocket stuff um, that's not on your insurance, like say acupuncture, or maybe you see a chiropractor. For simplicity, I'm gonna exclude those costs and just stick to the premiums, employer contributions, and your out-of-pocket costs. So here's the question. If healthcare were consumerized, you, the consumer, should get $7,870 in value from the system every year because that's what's been contributed. Where does all that money go? Well, that's why we're helping people calculate their OU. Now we'll talk about how much money is given to providers and drug companies for your care. These are also healthcare costs. <laughs> this is the other side of the OU. There's a 787, uh, there's a 7,870 that goes into the system. How much do you get out? The figure has two categories. One is how much your doctor and other providers get paid from the insurer, which is usually an insurance company, but could be your employer, depending on how the relationship is structured. That's the so-called contracted rate that we never see. These, by the way, are the rates the Trump administration is trying to get made public. If hospitals had to disclose what rates they had with all the different insurance companies with whom they contract for care, we'd have more price transparency. We consumers want that. 
anyway, it's going to be hard to get. So for the mail we're talking about in this example, that number that's paid via the insurer to providers uh, for care and for drugs is about $3,775 a year. The other piece is the out-of-pocket payments. We've estimated that to be about 680 bucks. We include the out-of-pocket costs on both sides. The first half of the OU is what goes into the system. Basically, what is paid by you and your employer, it's a money flow out from you. The other side of the OU is how much the system itself uses. It gets paid by insurance companies that deliver care. It also gets paid by you directly through these out-of-pocket costs. That's why the figure is on both sides. Technically, the out-of-pocket costs are a zero sum as far as calculating your OU. We're going to subtract what is used from what is put in so the out-of-pocket costs zero out and don't make an impact. However, they must be part of the discussion. And my next show will talk all about out-of-pocket costs because this is where the current ideology about sort of lowering your healthcare costs is centered around, lowering your out-of-pocket costs. Again, much more in the next episode. So we were talking about making an estimate for all the costs spent on that mail aged between 26 and 44. 3,775 spent via the insurance company uh, for the care and then 680 bucks paid by the individual. That brings the total amount to about $4,455. The amount put in was $7,870. The difference is $3,415. It's an overpayment. For discussion purposes, let's just round it up and call it a $3,500 overpayment. Let's take a moment to digest this. First, we all have to acknowledge that this overpayment is not just the consumer's money, right? The employer puts in most of the dollars going into the system. So the young male shouldn't necessarily get a check cut for $3,500 to use for his spending pleasure. If that were the case, employers would just contribute $3,500 less into the system. But they don't because they have to cover the cost for all of their employees. If we do an OU for someone much older, say a female between the ages of 55 and 64, she is underpaying by around the same amount the young male is overpaying. So it evens out. Put another way, younger people are paying more into the system to subsidize the care for older folks. Of course, old people were young at one point and did the same thing. So the older folks do have some justification in feeling like their care should be covered uh, by someone who's younger. But when healthcare costs are going up every year, how do we know that the older person put enough into the system when they were young to cover the costs now that they're old? And how does a young person know that they'll put in enough money to cover themselves later? They don't. No one knows. No one is tracking this stuff on an individual basis. The money just gets sucked into the system and spent. If healthcare were consumerized, really consumerized, then each of us would have our own lifetime healthcare account. When we put money in, we need to make sure we're going to be covered later. No one has that guarantee right now. Look at Medicare. The overspending is out of control. Younger generations don't have faith that there will be money for them by the time they hit 65. This is a justifiable concern. As I'll talk more in later shows, I'd like to move to a system where each of us has one of these accounts. We have cool analytics tools, we can get a pretty good idea about what most people's future healthcare costs will be. Shouldn't we be telling people this stuff? Shouldn't we be explaining to a young smoker that their healthcare costs are going to skyrocket later because of their smoking now? 
and that those costs are going to be something they have to pay for. That would be true consumerism in healthcare. Well, some people have ethical problems with such a decentralized consumer model. We've got tremendous health inequality in America. COVID-19 is bringing this to the forefront. People with lower incomes who are less healthy are more likely to suffer from COVID-19 than others. And of course, older people are more susceptible. Who provides insurance for individuals who are older, low income, and in many cases, less healthy than other Americans? The government, through its Medicaid and Medicare programs. So here's a question. Do lower income people have worse health outcomes than others because they're on Medicaid or because they're poor? Is the Medicaid program broken or are poor people disadvantaged because of the lower levels of education they access and the types of neighborhoods where they live and the types of jobs they can get because of the lower level of education available to them? Well, yes. Yes to every single one of these factors. I wish I had superpowers and could fix the entire healthcare system. As an entrepreneur, I can't boil the ocean. I have to pick my market. And when you're dealing with a $4 trillion industry, you need to whittle things down. So for us, we're looking at those with private insurance. The OU is something that anyone with private insurance should want to know. We're looking forward to helping you be as healthy as you can be so you can reap the benefits of this positive behavior. This is the Powers Report podcast. Please subscribe to our show and please follow me, Janice Powers, on social media. Please see our website at powersreportpodcast.com to submit questions and ideas on the contact page. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening.